I'd like you to go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to talk about why God gives us thorns. Why God gives us thorns. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is the passage that Solomia was referencing and she came and asked me about. And it wasn't long after that conversation we had where I felt very stirred to pursue this topic and put something together for today. And I want to share that with you. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. The Apostle Paul writes, and he says, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The way that God uses suffering can make us very uncomfortable. Because when we suffer and we're in pain, the only thing we do is look for the exit door. How do I get out of this? What prayer service or teacher can I go to with the right anointing and the right atmosphere to open the prison door? Is there anything I can do to change this circumstance so that I'm not going to deal with this any longer? Where's the exit and how do I get to it? And then you come across people like Paul. You meet incredible people like Solomia. You meet the Joni Erickson Tadas of the world and you see them walking through what could be permanent affliction. And there is a light and a glory in their eyes that you can't fake. I had the privilege of meeting a, a lady at Nyack College right here in this city just a few weeks ago. Some of our staff went up for a seminar on, on emotional and mental health training, and she runs the program there, the graduate program on mental health counseling. And I got to talk with her a little bit during the lunch break, and she told me a story that has changed the way I see life in a lot of ways. And I think I've repeated this story several times since hearing it to people. But she told me about a few years ago when she lost her youngest son. And it was just the most difficult, awful trial that she ever went through in her life. And she said that for about a year, people kept coming to encourage her. With that Christianese advice, people drop you know, in and around funeral times. And when you know someone's suffering, you, you give these Christian platitudes. Like, God's going to take that pain away. The Lord's going to heal your heart. And all of these encouragements. And they were really weighing down on her. She's trying to grieve and it's not helpful. And she said, I endured it for about, a for about a year. And then at the end of that year, another person came to me with the same kind of mantra, the same advice being given for the 20th time. And I couldn't take it anymore. So in a very Christian way, I told them how I felt. 
And this person's coming with, oh, sister, don't you worry. The Lord is going to take that pain away. He's going to heal your heart. And she, she looked at this person and said, what if I don't want to be healed? And I'm sitting there listening, thinking, where in the world is she going with this? And she said, listen, what if I don't want to be healed? Because the only way my heart's ever going to heal is if I forget about him. And what if I would rather live with the agony of remembering him than live with the relief of forgetting him? What if I don't want to be healed? That'll turn your world upside down a little bit, won't it? Change the way that you see grief, the way that you see pain, the way that you see suffering and affliction. We've got a lot of very, perhaps well-intended, but very bad teaching out there today that says that you know, we shouldn't allow room for sickness or suffering in our theology, that we should always expect healing, we should always respect, uh, expect a life of ease and, and deliverance, and I don't know where that idea is coming from because it's not in the Bible. We just read the testimony of a man who pleaded for deliverance, a man who prayed three times for healing, and he was told no. He was answered. His prayer was answered, but it wasn't with, here's your healing, Paul. It was, no, my grace is sufficient. Healing is not sufficient for you. There's a purpose here that can't be fulfilled through healing. There's a purpose here that can only be fulfilled through suffering. There's a purpose here that can only be fulfilled with you knowing my grace at a deep level that a life of physical ease will not be able to afford you. That's a very uncomfortable verse. That's a very uncomfortable part of our Christian theology that we don't talk about very often. Imagine praying for something as noble and good as healing, something as God-glorifying as healing, from something that Paul says was the result of a messenger of Satan. In Greek, it's angelos. It's literally Satan's angel. So some kind of demonic torment and harassment is coming upon him that God has allowed, and Jesus is saying, I'm not rebuking the devil for you. That's what's going on here. Paul is very explicit. He's very raw here. He's like, look, this thing is horrible. I prayed three times for it to go away. It's a messenger of Satan. It's, it's harassing me. The word he uses has to do with, with being struck physically. It's like getting punched in the face. This thing's beating on me every day of my life. And Jesus said he's not taking it from me. And there's a lot of theories on what Paul's thorn could have been. A lot of different thoughts. I think most likely it was some kind of physical illness that God used for his glory that he refused to heal. If you've ever noticed in Galatians chapter 4, Paul writes to the Galatian churches and he says, you know that it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And my condition was a trial to you. Now for whatever reason, Luke doesn't record that in the book of Acts, but Paul was so sick that he couldn't travel anymore. And that was why he stopped at Galatia. He had no intention of stopping and preaching to them. But because he was too sick to travel, they had to take care of him. And so while they're caring for him and he's recovering, he starts preaching. The Holy Spirit falls. A church is born. And we have one of the most incredible letters in the New Testament today because of it. There was a purpose in his suffering. There was a purpose in his, in his thorn, in his illness that maybe he didn't see in every case Maybe we can't see in every case, but it was there and God was glorifying himself through a man's weakness. It was a weakness given to him by God through Satan to protect him from himself. Because what was the purpose? When Paul says, I know a man in Christ who was caught up to heaven, he's talking about himself. But he feels stupid talking about all these great revelations. So he talks about it in the third person. Look, I, I know a guy. 
okay? Yeah, I'm asking for a friend. You know, you ever hear that kind of? It's one of those moments. Yeah, I've got a friend of mine. He was caught up to heaven, and you know, he, he heard things that aren't even lawful to utter. It, it's forbidden for man to speak. He saw things that were so wonderful, and, and he says, but I, I don't want to talk about that. Because you know why? Jesus gave me something so beautiful. He gave me these incredible revelations. But then he also saw this sinfulness in my heart where despite seeing all this heavenly beauty, despite seeing all these incredible wonders in the heavenlies, my heart was capable of taking that and becoming proud through it. And so in order to protect me from myself, Jesus says, here's your thorn. This is going to keep you. This is going to protect you. This is going to keep you moving forward. And that's why God would not take it away. All of his visions and revelations could have led him to arrogance. And so God, out of love and out of goodness, said, here, son, this is going to hurt, but it's going to keep you from falling. This is going to hurt, but it's going to keep you from falling. There are important things that we can know about Paul's thorn. We don't know what exactly it was. That's not really the important thing, but we do know it was a display of God's goodness and of his keeping power toward Paul because he didn't want him to fall victim to his own heart. He didn't want him to fall victim to the potential for pride that was within him. And I've heard some people suggest that God was tempting Paul. You know, why would God give Paul those revelations if he knew that it would just tempt him toward pride? No, hang on a second. God's not tempting him. James chapter one tells us that God does not tempt anyone and he can't be tempted at all. We are tempted when we're led away by the lusts of our own hearts. You see, God gives us beautiful things. He is a good father. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. It comes from the father of lights in whom there's no shadow of turning, the book of James says. But sometimes because our hearts are corrupt and we are sinful by nature, we can take those good, beautiful things that God gives us and we can use them to glorify ourselves. And Paul's temptation was, man, it'd be really easy for me to tell you how spiritual I am. It'd be really easy for me to write a book and talk about everything I saw up in heaven, sell it and make, you know, tens of thousands of dollars off of it. You know, it's interesting. you got so many books out there, people claiming to have gone to heaven, gone to hell. Paul goes to heaven, and he's not allowed to talk about it. So I don't know why these guys think they should get published, but you you get that for free. You do 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 what you want with that thought. You know, that's just an aside there. But Paul could have talked about how spiritual he was and how much he knew and how much he saw. And this thorn taught him, I'd rather talk about the things that have taught me I need Jesus. I'd rather talk about the things that have kept me aware of the fact that I need him. Rather than focus on where I've been, what I've done, I don't find joy in any of that. I don't find joy in talking about the third heaven. I don't find joy in talking about the visions that I've seen of Jesus and and this and that the other. I find joy in talking about the way he's made me depend on him. I find joy in talking about the way he's taught me to trust him and to lean on his preserving power. And this is what brings us to our first point today. If you'll direct your attention to the screen, what is a thorn? Thorns are God-given afflictions that humble us and exalt him. Thorns are God-given afflictions that humble us and exalt him. We don't know what Paul's thorn was, and I'm glad. Because if we knew what Paul's thorn was, we would constantly be thinking, well, I don't go through anything like that, so that passage just isn't for me. 
But I think the Bible keeps silent on some stuff to leave room for our situations. I don't know what Paul's thorn was, but I don't have to. What I do see is that God will at times give men and women difficulty and affliction that keeps them depending on him because there is a purpose that is eternally beyond their understanding. And he's going to, by their weakness, pour such grace into them that the world is going to be turned upside down. Because that's what happened in the life of Paul. Thorns can take so many different forms. Look at verse 10 with me in the passage again. He says, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why? Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Thorns can take so many different forms. You and I are going to go through maybe not a physical malady like what Paul went through or maybe what our sister is going through. We might not be able to relate on every level, but we've gone through seasons where we're weak. It's hard. We're being insulted for the sake of Christ. We're filled with hardship, persecution, calamity, and grief strike us. Thorns take many shapes. And so the question that's being posed to us today, I believe through the text is what are you doing with it? Because the temptation that we have with thorns is they can make us bitter. They can make us angry at God. We can go like Paul. He said, I prayed three times. Imagine after the first two times, you know, I really wonder how he processed all this. He goes prayer number one and there's silence from heaven. It's like, okay, maybe I just need to pray and fast. Maybe fasted the second time. I don't know. And now it's like, okay, why are you saying nothing, Lord? No answer. No healing? Can you give me something? Then finally, the third time, he finally hears from God and he's told, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And the temptation that we can feel in our hearts when we're dealing with a thorn in our flesh is the question, God, why are you doing nothing? Why aren't you saying something? Lord, where's the answer? God, would you please break through for me? And and instead of getting the breakthrough, we sang about that this morning. We wonder why is heaven silent instead? What do we do in those seasons? And I want to give you three things that thorns do that help us understand a bit of their purpose. The first thing that a thorn does is thorns showcase God's power. That's our next point. Thorns showcase God's power. Only God's grace could have kept Paul through all of his suffering. Only God's grace could have kept Paul through all of his suffering. Listen to a bit of 2 Corinthians 11. This is what leads into his discussion of the thorn. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and the day I was adrift at sea. Frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst without food and cold and exposure only God could have kept him going through all of his suffering only grace could have kept him through all of that and this is our next point grace is the reason you're still standing grace is the reason you are still standing as a demonstration of Jesus's might And of his power. Because you know what? Some of you should have lost your minds by now. Some of you should be dead by now. 
Some of you should be going to get a pill. You should be going to get therapy. You should be making a plan to end your life. That's what you should be doing if the devil had his way with you. But because the grace of God is being poured into your life, you're still standing. Thorns showcase the power of God because when people come and say, wow, what an amazing story you have. I don't know how you make it through. That's when you pull a Paul and you say, listen, it's not about me. I've got this thorn in my flesh. This thing makes me weak, man. I don't know some days how I'm going to make it to tomorrow. I don't know where it's going to come from. But then Jesus reminds me that when he is with me, when he is for me, no one and nothing can be against me. Some of us should not be here right now, but God gave you a thorn so that he could demonstrate his power through you. I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And my favorite part is not that they're kept through the fire. My favorite part is that they make it in. Because when you read the story, they're bound up, they're tied. And it says that the strongest warriors in the Babylonian army wrapped them up in those cords and they threw them to the furnace. But the flames were so hot, these mighty warriors were killed by the heat. But these three wimpy Hebrew scholars make it into the bottom. They survive what the sinners couldn't withstand. Some of you should not be here right now, but Jesus is keeping you going. The second, things, the second thing that thorns do is thorns magnify Jesus' worth. Thorns magnify Jesus' worth. I need to give you a little backdrop here before we go forward. One of the big issues that Paul is wrestling with from 2 Corinthians 10 onward, and that sets the stage for chapter 12, is he's being opposed by false teachers. They're accusing him. They're trying to destroy his character. And he makes this statement in verse 23 of chapter 11, before he starts talking about his suffering. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. So his answer to their accusations is his suffering. Because one of the things in their theology that they were telling the Corinthians was, was that, look, if Paul were really a man of God, he wouldn't be suffering the way that he is. Because if you're really a follower of Jesus, that's going to mean a life of ease. You're a spiritual person. You should transcend the difficulties of this life. It shouldn't have any power over you. You should be beyond that as a spiritual person. The physical world shouldn't be able to afflict you. So Paul is clearly not a spiritual man. And Paul says, excuse me, I'll tell you what qualifies me as an apostle. I'm more committed to Jesus than you are. You want a Jesus that serves you and makes your life better and is all about being, letting you be God and not him. Jesus is God to me because I don't care what he calls me to walk through. He's worthy and I'm going to go with him. And that's why Paul pointed to his sufferings. He said, I know that I'm qualified as an apostle because I don't back down when following Jesus gets rough. I don't back down from the fight when there's a cost to following Christ. And so the thorn in Paul's flesh, this constant battle that he had with weakness and with suffering, for him it showed that Jesus was worthy. Because even though it was hard, he didn't stop doing what God called him to do. 
Everyone else wanted to point at the thorn and say, oh, see, that's proof you're doing something wrong. There must be sin in your life. You're not a true man of God. Paul says, excuse me, this thorn and the grace that comes with it is proof positive that I'm a follower of Christ. And when you choose to endure, when you keep going in your battles, when you keep enduring your thorns, being a Christian, showing your allegiance to Jesus, not backing down from the fight, you prove that you found something worth living and dying for. You have found someone worth living and dying for. Thorns magnify Jesus's worth. Next point, Paul said his suffering showed that Jesus deserves our loyalty and our affection. His suffering showed that Jesus deserves our loyalty and affection. These phonies will not follow him if the going gets tough. But I keep going because he deserves that. He went to the cross for me. I will carry my cross for him. The next point, please. Your endurance, just like Paul, your endurance in trial shows that you have found someone worth dying for. Your endurance is a testimony. You keeping on pushing through despite the pain of the thorn proves that you have found someone who is worth your very life. It proves that your loyalty is to him. This world can't hold you back. You have determined that this world has nothing to offer you because if it did, you would use your pain as an excuse to back away. You would be using your pain as an excuse to become bitter and say, well, if God is real, he wouldn't ask this of me. But because your aim is higher, Because you're looking at the truth of who God is, you're looking at that cross and you realize, Lord, if you suffered for me when I was completely undeserving, I will suffer for you if need be because you are entirely deserving. We know where your loyalty lies. Thorns magnify Jesus' worth. He is worthy of endurance. He's worthy of being followed. The third thing that thorns do is thorns humiliate Satan. Thorns humiliate Satan. And I think this is probably the most important point that we're going to land on today. Thorns humiliate Satan. Listen to verse 7 of chapter 12 again. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Next point. By afflicting Paul, Satan unwittingly served God's purpose. By afflicting Paul, Satan unwittingly served God's purpose. So God looks at Paul's heart, sees that this guy's got a bit of a pride problem. And if I don't do something about it, he could fall. So because I love him, I'm going to give the enemy a bit of an open door here to come in and harass him. And even though the enemy is going to try to destroy him, even though the enemy is going to think he can destroy him, I'm going to use that harassment to sanctify him. So while the devil is trying to win a battle, I'm going to be winning a greater battle. While the devil's coming in to harass and steal and kill and destroy, the only thing he's going to be doing is making my son more like me. The only thing he's going to be doing is making my son more powerful, more acquainted with grace. Because you see, beloved, when you walk with Jesus, he makes even the devil serve you. He makes even the devil serve you. 
It doesn't matter what harassment hell may bring. It doesn't matter what torment the devil might try to throw at your mind, at your thinking, at your finances, at your physical being. Whatever it is, Jesus is able to work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Your thorn is going to be the humiliation of the devil. Because when you should be coming bitter, when you should be turning angry at God, when you should be becoming an unbeliever, when you should be growing cold, and instead you grow more passionate, instead you know more grace, instead you are a bolder witness for Jesus, that's when the devil's like, what is going on? This isn't supposed to be happening. This is the opposite of what I'm trying to do. Because the devil's lies can't defeat the grace of God. And when you follow Jesus Christ, the devil is just another servant. He's outside the kingdom, but he's still another servant. There is nothing he can do to overturn the plans and intentions of God for his people. Last point, by trying to defeat you in your suffering, Satan only defeats himself. By trying to defeat you in your suffering, Satan only defeats himself. Paul's thinking, man, this is really tough. The devil's thinking, yeah, I got you now. I'm going to torment you with this. I'm going to harass you. And Jesus says, you're only going to give him more to write about. You're only going to give him more material for his letters and his sermons. That's all you're going to do. And so when the devil's looking at you and thinking, oh, I've got them now, Jesus is saying, go ahead, give them another testimony. I'll work with that. That's all right. Give them something else to talk about. Give them something else to say about me. Give them something else to tell people about what I can do in their lives. Because this is the beauty of the thorn. It's hard. It hurts. It's not easy. And you're not expected to find joy in the thorn itself. That's not what Paul says. Paul found joy in what the thorn taught him. The thorn taught him. To not focus on how spiritual he is and how much he knows and what he's seen and heard. The thorn taught him to focus on how God has kept him. The thorn taught him to focus on how Jesus can overcome any trial. You know, the, the most powerful passages in, in Paul's letters are not the ones where he's talking about himself. He's just talking about God. Read Romans 8. Oh my goodness. All he does is talk about the, the work of the Holy Spirit and the life of the church and then the overcoming power that's at the disposal of the believer. He's not talking about himself at all. He just says, this is who Jesus is. This is what he does. There's nothing that can stand against you. He makes you overcome everything. The devil's just another tool. That's all he is. He is a tool and instrument in the hand of God to make you more like Christ and to empower you to live in a manner that glorifies him. That's what thorns do. Because the funny thing about them is they represent two simultaneous battles. The devil's trying to destroy you with the thorn, but God's fighting to preserve you through the thorn. Because that's what's going on. The devil's trying to destroy you with it, but God's actually fighting to preserve you through it. Now, I don't know if we can say that that means every person who has a thorn is being protected from some kind of innate sinfulness. Maybe, maybe that's the case. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But what I do feel very confident about is that if you're in a place today where you're just in a season of long-term affliction and the silence of heaven has just been deafening, the silence of heaven, the lack of miracles from God has just been really hard to bear, 
Might I suggest to you that there could be a purpose in it that you can't even imagine? Might there be a humiliation of Satan that God wants to produce in your life that healing would not be able to bring? Sometimes it seems to me endurance and suffering is more humiliating to the devil than people being healed from illnesses. I don't know why that is. God is sovereign. He's able to work and impart his gifts whenever he chooses. But he's also able to keep everyone, everyone that belongs to him. He has the power to preserve us. And so the question that I want to pose to you, if, if you have a thorn in your life, whose work are you agreeing with? Whose battle seems to be more pronounced in your mind right now? Do you more feel Satan trying to destroy you? Or are you focusing on the fact that God is keeping you and preserving you and building a greater testimony in your life? Are you maybe resisting the call to rest in grace of sufficiency? That's not an easy call to answer. Because look, when, when God is not giving us the, an, the yes answer to our prayer, he might be giving us the no answer. And with the no comes a call to grace, comes a, go, a call to rest in God's strength that we don't often hear about. Because you just might be getting called to the privilege of knowing God's power in a way that some don't. You might be getting called to humiliate Satan. And that's a pretty awesome thing. And so the question, as we stand... You can rise with me, please. I want to give an altar call. The question that I want to pose is, if you got a thorn and you want to humiliate the devil with it, then what do you need to do to make that happen? It might be a change in perspective. It might be a change in the way that you look at your circumstance. It might be a change in the way that you deal with the hard days and the bad days. Whatever the case might be, I just want to invite you to come to the front we're going to sing and worship the Lord for a few moments, and then I want to pray with you. And again, this is just a matter of, I've got a thorn in my life. I've got some hardship that's really tough to deal with. I, I don't like this. It hurts, and, and God doesn't seem to be giving me the answer that I want or expect. But if he can use this to humiliate Satan, if he can use this to set people free, if he can use this to empower me and empower the church, then let's go. Let's do it. If that's the cry of your heart, then just come and join these who have already been, uh, been here at the front, and we're going to believe God for a miracle today. Lord, I see a lot of different faces here. God, just so many, every possible age bracket represented, so many different backgrounds and walks of life, and God, I can only begin to imagine what might have brought them down here today. And God, I thank you, Lord, that there's never a pain that we walk through that you don't fully understand. And God, I thank you, Lord. I can say this with great confidence. You never minded Paul praying for healing. I know that, God. We can be very confident of that because, Lord, even your answer to him the third time was so gentle. God, you didn't rebuke him. Lord, you weren't unkind or rough. You said, my grace is sufficient for you. Father, thank you for who you are. Lord, you're beautiful. God, and I thank you that you're going to take every life that's here at this altar today and you're going to make them a living, breathing display of your beauty. God, I thank you that you make even the devil serve us, God. Father, when we belong to you, when we are born again as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, God, you make everything serve us. You make everything work together for our good and for our well-being. And Lord, I thank you that the enemy may have been harassing and tormenting them, trying to convince them that he's going to have the final say with their life. He's going to destroy them. He's going to win. God, I thank you, Lord. He is only defeating himself. 
God, he's going to defeat his own purposes because the, the torment and the harassment that he brings, you use that to make us more like you. You use that to give us a greater revelation of your grace. You use that, oh God, to make us more powerful witnesses of who Jesus is. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would, you would give a token, oh God. Lord, give some blessing, some token, some testimony. Even this week, Lord, do something for my, my brothers and sisters that are here at this altar. Just to let them know your life is an embarrassment to the powers of darkness. Your life is an embarrassment to Satan. I thank you, God, that you are going to make them living testimonies of your power, oh God. Lord, I thank you that you will destroy every evil work that's set against their faith. God, I thank you, Lord, that you're able to make them stand. God, thank you for the, the testimonies that we have heard already. God, thank you for our sister, Anne Graham Lotz, who spoke this morning of how, Lord, loneliness knocked at her door for so long, but it never came in. God, she walked through fire and flood, and you kept her. Thank you for our sister, Solomia. Lord, she, she could easily say that, that God let a normal life be taken away from me as a, as a baby, but, but no, Lord, she's standing, and she's able to testify to a room full of people that there's a purpose. There is a purpose that God is able to bring. This is a God who takes ashes and makes beauty come out of them. This is a God who takes demonic harassment and uses it to glorify his name. God, thank you, Jesus, that you will make us stand. You're going to showcase your power through our weakness, Lord, because everyone down here knows I shouldn't be here right now. I should be in a different place, but Jesus has kept me. So God, make them displays of your power. Astound us with what you're able to do through our lives, oh God. Astound the world around us. Astound New York City, oh Lord, with the testimony and the good news that you're able to bring out of these lives that are here today. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. We bless your name. And I ask your blessing to be upon these sons and daughters, oh God, these sons and daughters, Lord Jesus Christ, that nothing can defeat them. There is no such thing as a defeated Christian because there'd have to be a defeated Christ first. And that's not possible. We love you, Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Praise God. God bless you guys. You're going to stand. You're going to stand. You're going to be a testimony. You're going to be a display of God's power. Amen. Praise God.